Hello and welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I am David Bax. And thank you for listening, David. How you doing? I thought you were thanking me for listening. Thank oh, you for we listening, all, David. We all know you don't listen to me or the show. I do subscribe. Oh, yeah, of course. So that you get the download and stuff, but then I delete. <laughs> yeah, I... Uh... I, I will sometimes go and listen to guest episodes, or as as happened this week, I suggested a topic that you said, uh, maybe we covered this already, so I had to go back and listen. And, uh, man, it is uh, it has become increasingly awkward to go back and listen to episodes where it's just you and me. Really? Yeah. Why? Because it's I'm just listening to me. Like, <laughs> I'm, I'm also masturbating. Do, is that you, weird? <laughs> okay. Because uh, you do most of the talking? Yes, that is the okay. reason, and most of the interrupting. Would you say? Would you say you're yourself, uh, or do you do you have a persona? I would. Well, actually, I would say I'm mostly myself. Okay, but well, I definitely have a persona. Yeah, I am it's not a, myself. On it's this a much show. heightened version of, uh, much more heightened version um, of myself. Yes. And so, do you think we we got these personas? We've been around for four years, nearly. Yeah. Do you think? There is any Tyler Smith or David, ba- David Bax cult of personality? No. Okay. <laughs> but that gets me into something I want to I talk about. Oh, does it? Yeah. We, I know we <laughs> didn't prepare for this at all. But uh, I've very loosely, as in like just sort of skimmed headlines and not read any actual stories, mm-hmm. been following the uh, a filmmaker named Kevin Smith. Kevin Smith, okay. Yeah, he's got a film called Red State Yeah. Uh, that I guess played at Sundance. I don't know this kind of stuff. But um, no, we were actually talking before about his his plan for releasing Red State. What is it? Well, it's I mean it's interesting. It's kind of uh, he he said he's returning to an earlier time in filmmaking where a film would go from one city to another, play for a while, um, and build an audience and build word of mouth by doing that as opposed to just a huge release across the whole country. Uh, and I, I think that's I think that's an interest and that's what he wants to do with Red State. And I think that's an interesting approach. Is I don't, he actually selling it as like a return to old times? I don't know if he's selling it that way, but he did frame it that way that he he I think he said it was like a like a whistle stop tour, you know, one of those kind of things. Okay, but that's not what those road shows were. They weren't like, let's see if we can drum up the support. They were the gig- they were gigantic movies. Yeah. He quoted he he uh, cited Gone with the Wind as yeah. one of those things. Uh, and you know, Gone with the Wind. Most of those movies, most of these road show type movies were were terrible or at least boring, but mm. pretty to look at. You know, like like Duel in the Sun or ah, yes. something. Um, but yeah, this was it was a huge thing done by movie studios. It wasn't. <laughs> yeah, his, well, the other aspect he's, he's selling it like it's just a like it's a grassroots thing, and that's not what the road shows really were. Right, especially because he seems to also how how he's selling it seems to be a form of rebellion against the studio system. Yeah, that's which, what I want to get into. Which. Admittedly, I mean, he. There was also just a lot of possible confusion about him saying, "I'm going to auction it off." It hasn't been pre-sold, um, and people and studios certainly wanted to buy it, and he's opting not to do that. And good for him for, you know, yeah. for whatever reason, 
him wanting to work outside the studio system, that's not a bad instinct. Yeah, but here's the thing. The studio system hasn't been that bad to him. He thinks it has. Uh, yes. Because his movies like Zack and Miri and Kapot haven't done well. I don't know. Did Kapot do well? Not particularly. And okay. Yeah, certainly not uh, Zach critically. Zack and Miri did not right. uh, do But I'm just talking about box office here. It's not... He's not rebelling against the studio system because he's Terry Gilliam and they keep fucking with him. <laughs> yeah. It's because he hasn't made a movie, a, you know, financially successful movie recently and he can't bear to blame himself. Even though he is the one to blame for his movies sucking. Although uh, he did have an interesting interview on uh, WTF with uh, Mark Maron. Did you listen to that episode? It's on my iPod. I haven't listened to it okay. yet. It's it's interesting. Um, although, I mean, I'm sorry, my MP3 playing device. Indeed. I. Oh, you don't want to? Yeah, I'm not. Okay. I'm not working for Apple. Fair enough. Although you, it's you own the device because you like the device. So there's nothing wrong with just saying, "Hey, this is what I have, and it works very very well for me." But other stuff would work well too. Yeah, but that's not what you have. Okay. All right. But it's not like I'm saying this is the best. Of all the ones that I've tried, I just got an iPod because it's easy and most people have iPods. And so I don't they don't need any more advertising from me. All right. You heard it here first. It's easy. Most people have them. And that doesn't iPod. that's not that's not a reason to buy one. Sounds pretty easy to me. I mean I don't well, want to. It is a reason, but it's not something that I need to go out and evangelize about. Okay, fair enough. No whistle stop tours for you. <laughs> no. Uh, I will not be Going from city to city, holding up my iPod. <laughs> See? I like this thing. <laughs> um, but the uh, the other thing that I think is, is interesting, it's, I mean, of course, the way in which he he's planning to distribute the film. And by the way, it remains to be seen if that's going to happen. I mean, I could see him breaking down and doing it the traditional way. Right. But... Because of the second part, I do believe that that it could happen this way, which is he's he was also planning on I don't know if he's planning on doing it for every city, uh-huh. but he also wants to have like a Q and A session with him, you know, and maybe I don't know the actors, the producer, or something uh, after the showing, mm-hmm. and and I think that's interesting as well because. I mean, obviously, David mentioned Cult of Personality a moment ago. I feel like at this point, and and this happens all the time. People talk about people being uh, actors or directors or whatever being celebrities just for being celebrities. But at this point, I think Kevin Smith is just as just as famous for being Kevin Smith, mm-hmm. the person or the personality, as he is the director. Maybe even more so. And I feel like. At this point, it's it's it was interesting that he added that little thing at the end that there's, you also get to see me, yeah. And I think what's happening, people talk often about uh, when someone becomes like a Michael Jackson becomes so famous that, or Elvis Presley, you know, becomes so famous that mm-hmm. no one within, you know, anywhere within their circle is going to tell them they're crazy because they're too famous to be told they're crazy. Kevin Smith isn't that famous yet, uh, yet, or n- probably never will be. But I feel like he's intentionally walling himself off from reality by just 
just being about his cult of personality and make you know it's like he's 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 developing a reality for himself that will follow him wherever he goes uh because he won't admit to himself that his films suck and that's why they're not making money and i remember you i don't remember if it was you and i that said this on the air but i think you and i have discussed it that he does well just with speaking engagements he is a an intelligent pretty well spoken guy yeah that's true who can be conversationally funny um and there's if he enjoys making films and by all means go ahead but at this point i think it would be perfectly okay to just be kevin smith and have it be that but of course with red state he also has things to say he has messages to get across uh whether he gets them across well or not is another issue i i i I would like to see the movie because I feel like the less in touch a person is with reality, the less they're going to have to say that's going to mean anything. You know, it's either going to be crazy, like his point of view is either going to be crazy or it's going to be something that only he thinks is revolutionary that everyone else already kind of knows because no one's there to tell him like, yeah, you're not. He's surrounding himself with sycophants who will say, you're you're genius. You're right on. Whether it's crazy or it's obvious. Well, the uh, as far as I can tell, the the message. And again, we've not seen the film, so I'm, it might be more nuanced than this. Can't believe I just said that. Uh, the The message of Red State seems to be that people like Fred Phelps are bad. Okay. I got to see this movie because I don't. I got to see it to believe it. That's the way I look at it. But. But yeah, it's and you know it's interesting. I read it. I read an article. I How wish great I, was it when the Fred Phelps people showed up at Comic Con? Oh, oh it was my the gosh. best. It's like I had to fight my way through them, you know. And I got I got bloodied. There's no question about it. There were like hundreds of them. No, but they really were there. They were there. There weren't hundreds of them. There were a few of them, and not Fred Phelps, right? Because he's like 120 years old or something. At this yeah. Point. Now I think he's passed along to his daughter. Is that it? I, I think I've heard that too. Yeah. Yeah. But man, it was so great. It kind of legitimizes what you're doing. <laughs> yeah. It's um, like, you guys, I know we've broken 150,000 in attendance for the fa- past five years, but this day, today, we have arrived. Exa- yeah. <laughs> you know, you kind of know you're doing something right. It may yeah. not be wholly right. <laughs> with a W. Yeah, um, I knew what you meant. A but, w uh, and, and, and two L's. Indeed. But uh, you're you're on the right track. Uh-huh. If you if you if they if you catch their their all seeing eye, <laughs> that's right. I spoke in Lord of the Ring terms. <laughs> okay. Um, anyway, I think I've been enough of a dick about Kevin Smith. Do you have anything more to say? Well, there was an int- there was an article that I that I read. I w- for the life of me, I wish I could remember who wrote it, but um, it might have been somebody over at Geek Tyrant. I'm not a hundred percent sure, but somebody because when we discuss cult of personality, emphasis is on the cult. That uh-huh. and and everyone does this, what, no matter who the musical artist or the director, whatever. Everyone will do this. It's understandable. It's not like it's just Kevin Smith and his fans. But there are people who love a director and identify with the director so much uh-huh. that they will defend everything that that director does because and espe- now this is specific to Kevin Smith that he's he puts himself out there as if he's your buddy. Uh-huh. You know, hey, you and I, it's just you and I, you and me, buddy, against the world. 
uh-huh. let's go smoke pot or something. Right. But uh, but the article is quick to point out he's not your friend. He's not against you, but he's not your friend. He's a guy who benefits greatly from you thinking he's your friend. Yeah. And I don't think this was geek tyrant. I okay. Mean, yeah, I don't. I don't remember where it was. I from. mean, oh, all respect to uh, to Vankman. He's a he's a friend of mine. Yeah. But that's not the tone of their. Okay, website. all right. It must be. It must be something else then. But, uh, but yeah, it's. If you like his films, that's fine. But if there's a film of his that you don't like, which it's entirely possible, that there's a film that uh, that you don't like of his, you don't have to defend it. He's going to make missteps. All directors do. All music. All musicians do. Like if they try to do something different and fail you can admire them trying to do something different but you have to acknowledge the you can acknowledge the failure you're not being disloyal you're not betraying your friend it 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 is only a cult if if you think that this person can do no wrong which is statistically impossible are there any filmmakers you can think of who have made at least like five films and you like them all who they've made it oh and i've liked them all yeah hmm let's see I mean, certainly there's John Milius. There's no question about that. Um, you know, I, uh, I like everything Jim Jim Jarmusch has done. I may like them to varying degrees. Did you degrees. see The Limits of Control? No, I didn't. I don't know that you'd like it. Okay. I don't know that... I don't know if I liked it. Okay. I honestly need... I need to watch it again. I mean, like... Uh, Ghost Dog, I I like, I don't love. There are some of his films when that I love. When was the last time you watched it? Because that's how I used to feel about it. And then I watched it again, and I love Ghost Dog. I do own it, I, I, I but I haven't popped it in since I It since has I improved it. with age, age, I think. Or maybe with <laughs> my being older, yeah. I, I find it even better than I did when I saw it in the theater. But I feel like there's... And I, I do like every... I do, at the very least, like everything that Orson Welles did. Um... But yeah, it's F for Fake. I own it, but it's yeah, that's a little rough. See, I love it. I know for, you love I, it I'd rather fake. watch F for Fake than than uh, Mr. Arcaden or Arcaden, Arcaden. Or Confidential Report. Yeah, uh, which I also like, but I, I'm just saying I I think F for Fake is better and probably better than The Stranger as well. Yeah, that's true. Although we've I've never seen the dire- what the director's cut of The Stranger would have been. But uh, okay, we've gotten we've gone far afield, but we're still talking about movies. I'm sure. People are interested to hear us talk about these Orson Welles movies. Yeah, sure. Um. <laughs> I am excited. Uh, did you see this? That um, it's looking like his <laughs> did film. Did you see this? <laughs> did you see this? Did you hear about this? Um, what's your beef, David? But the, uh, it's looking like his film, The Other Side of the Wind, uh, which was unfinished. It was all shot, but it was unedited. Um, and it's been, uh, I think there was like a, some, a rights issue, a release issue, and I think they, I think it's all been released to Peter Bogdanovich, with extensive notes from Wells. Wait, did Peter Bogdanovich know Orson Wells? I think they, like, I think they met once at a party. Because I've never heard Peter Bogdanovich say anything at all about having known Orson Wells. <laughs> you know, here's the thing: if you become, you know, if you were ever viewed as legendary, I would be, you know, putting it out there quite a bit as well. So okay. it's it's fine, and also they I, actually I, were I good kid friends. Peter Bogdanovich, but I actually think he's awesome. Not only did he make the Last Picture Show, yeah, which is fantastic. He also made the Cat's Meow, which is fantastic. Paper Moon and Paper Moon, uh, and um, what's up, Doc? What's up, Doc? Uh, but in addition to making these movies that are really like, he's also such a dork in such a great way. <laughs> yeah, like if you listen to um, 
the commentary for the pilot of The Sopranos. Okay. It's him and David Chase. I don't even know why, because Peter Bogdanovich wasn't even on the show until like the next season, I think. Okay. Uh, and he's just like so giddy, like he loves the show so much, and he he just wants all this sort of like behind the scenes lore from David Chase. And he's he's Peter Bogdanovich is a film geek. Well, it, he it, was it, a critic it, before he was a director, so I mean, yeah. it stands to reason that that would be that that would be the case. So, uh, yeah, I, I just wanted to get that out on the record that I kid Peter Bogdanovich, but I actually think he's uh, awesome. Not to mention he's been a champion of Orson Welles for a long time, mm-hmm. and that might that is probably what drew Orson Welles to him. But he was a defend. I mean, he defended Welles against Pauline Kael and and all of that. There was there was actually a, not a huge strain, but there was kind of some anti Welles sentiment for a while in the in the sixties and seventies, and. Uh, he didn't have a lot of defenders, but Peter Bogdanovich was one of them. And so now it's looking like with notes from Wells, he will be finally finishing this, this movie, which I'm super excited about. It's one that I have always been fascinated by because not only is it directed by Wells, but it stars John Huston, who as a director, I've always been as, as a, as an actor, I've always been a big fan of as well. So, um, and that title though, the other side of the wind, that sounds like, like, a Mad Magazine parody of <laughs> uh, what? What one? What one? Best picture? Uh, the other side of the wind or there something? You go. It sounds like uh, it sounds like someone's jokey idea for an artsy movie. Yeah, no jokes. It's just an artsy movie. <laughs> yeah, but uh, all right. And it like vaguely calls to mind flatulence. Oh, no question about that. <laughs> Now, David, we've been talking about Orson Welles and <laughs> sure. and Kevin Smith. Okay, and, I mean they worked kind of outside the studio. They they viewed themselves as outside go. the studio system, but uh, but taking up the reins. Yeah, that's right. The Segway reins. Yeah, the Segways. <laughs> but uh, they viewed themselves as kind of outside the system. But often they had to work within the system. That must have been very very uh, awkward and maybe even a little comical for them. Yeah, disconcerting, like. Oh, I don't fit in here. No question about it. There's a term for that. Okay. When when you're the you're in you're out of your element. You're surrounded by an environment that is not where you come from and what you're used to. Yeah. They call yeah, it fish out of water. Yeah. Okay. Um But we'll we'll discuss because that. Because a fish more. when out of water comically flops around and dies. while it's dying. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. But we'll talk more about that once we're into it. Let's get into it, shall we? All right. Um, now, I you, like when we mess with format. It's <laughs> a lot of fun. It is fun. Um, I hope the listeners are okay with the idea that we're bored with doing the show. <laughs> we're not bored. We just uh, no, like not, messing with it. It's fine. I'm not bored at all. I'm, I think I, I've had like a resurgence. I mean, I always like doing the show every week. Yeah. But I feel like recently, maybe like because of the 200th episode, you know, like I feel like I love doing it again. You know, I actually I had that as well, and I apologize if this sounds self congratulatory. It really isn't. It's uh, for me as strange as it sounds. It was the string of guestless episodes that got it for me, and just how invigorating it was. It, like when we discussed uh, TV watching, and you and I had like some disagreements, and we came to no conclusion. I'm like, ah, a return to form. <laughs> yeah, and uh, and I remember like, man, I remember something that. Uh, that our guest Mather Zickel had said, he said this after we were done recording with him, and uh, I had said, hey, thanks for coming, and he had said something that at the time I thought was sarcastic, 
but he later said it, it wasn't. He said, hey, just sitting and talking movies. What could be better? <laughs> and uh, yeah. Sitting and talking movies. What could be better? By later, do you mean do we ever do we ever told this story on the podcast? No, we didn't. That we had never met Mather Zickel. Right. We had him to the Never Not Funny Studios where we used to record our guest episodes because we uh, were insecure about people coming into our house. But now, you know, fuck them. We're two years in. They'll yeah. come to us. It's not our Steven house. Steven Tobolowski, you'll come here. Exactly. I meant like our dojo. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's your house. We don't live together. Good point. Um <laughs> We never met um, Mather Zickel. He came to the studio. We met for the first time. Recorded about three in the afternoon. Yeah. What is it, what is it about five thirty, six thirty that night? Maybe six thirty or seven. You... I, I went to my friend Nathan's house. Uh huh. Apartment building. Apartment building, and uh, so I was hanging out with him at seven, and then probably about nine or ten, I was leaving. Uh-huh. With an, Jen and I were leaving with another couple. We were going to go to our respective cars and leave. And, and leave. And uh, as we're leaving, up walks Mather Zickle. <laughs> and I'm like, Mather? And he says, yes. I, I wasn't totally sure he remembered my name. Uh-huh. I said, it's Tyler from a few hours ago. <laughs> and he's like... In, in a different part of town. Oh, yeah. Completely different. <laughs> uh, not completely different. I think it was still Sherman Oaks. But nonetheless, oh, okay. he would have still come to Sherman Oaks no matter where he lived. It's not like he came on the show solely because it was close. <laughs> but... Uh, so I, I, he said, what are you what are you doing here? Because <laughs> I'm sure to him, it was the weirdest thing. And I said, I was just in my friend's apartment he lives right here he says this is the building i live in (laughs) i said that's weird he says yeah that's weird i was like well i'll see you later (laughs) it was very unusual have you seen him since does your friend still live there my friend still lives there but but mather i know uh he i think subleased his apartment i think he's in uh, new york right now okay well uh, it's good to know you're still keeping tabs on him (laughs) and stalking stalking him it's not stalking. It's just it's you know. It, okay, I'd like to have Mather back on the show. Oh, he lives in New York. Every once in a while, when you're over at Nathan's, you walk downstairs and peer in the windows. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. <laughs> okay, and that's not the there. The other thing is, uh, listeners of our show and the forty year old boy, they they know that Mike Schmidt works uh, in Graveyardville. He works as kind of a night watchman for an apartment building, and uh, my. Uh, uh, a friend of mine lives in that building. A different friend. A different friend. And so now it's just... I understand now why movies like Shortcuts and Magnolia and Crash take place in Los Angeles. Because for the millions of people that live here, it's a surprisingly small town. Yeah. I didn't run across people like this in Nixa. <laughs> it's very strange. Uh, okay, back to business. Yeah, I also want to say the reason I've... Uh, one, of the, one of the reasons that I've been uh renewed in my vigor for the show is the the blog has been doing uh we we've been putting a lot more content on the blog and we're um i I guess we're announcing a a soft launch date we're not sure yet but february 1st is what we're aiming for for uh, a sort of revamp of the website and we want we want we want more traffic on the blog. We want uh, to not just be a podcast for you guys. We want our thoughts on movies that we didn't talk about here, plus thoughts from uh friend of the show, Jason Eakin, 
um, writers like Kyle Anderson and Daniel Brigamini and Matt Warren. Warren. <laughs> I'm sorry, Matt. That's fine. I, it's just named like intern Matt or Matt the intern is often what I uh, how I yeah, refer I to him. And I don't like the idea that we have an intern because we're not giving him any college credit or anything. So he's he's Matt Warren. He doesn't go to he's college. He's Mr. Warren to me. He doesn't he doesn't go to college. If he did, he would get all kinds of college credit from us. <laughs> okay. Um so yeah, there's going to be a lot more stuff on the on the website. Um I mean there already is on the blog like the blog spot and on the website as well now, but it's going to it's going to be more streamlined come around February 1st at the soft launch date. Um and uh we hope you'll join us over there and and uh, subscribe to the blog and read uh read the things that Tyler and I as long uh, as well as Jason and uh Daniel and Kyle and Matt who else Josh Josh writes for your Josh writes for me but he he occasionally will write okay. for uh for us as well um mostly like if we've got like one of our uh one of our top 100 lists or something right. like that yeah so um a lot of great stuff these are all great uh people and and great writers and uh interesting thoughts going on over on that blog it's not uh we're not doing movie news i'm not trying to edge in on slash film dot com i yeah. don't worry guys <laughs> um, you know for how much we actually enjoy being on their show we seem to systematically just be alienating them by by oh, gentle ribbing we're taking pot shots of them all day long 24 right. 7 Though we do love being on the show, we love it. It's it's yeah. it's one of the most uh, them and the and the Gobble show. I would do, you know, uh, yeah. and and Criterion Cast. I've done twice now, and I love it. I would do those. Sh- I would do all those shows once a month if they would if they would let me. Yeah. So Dave, because I know that we know that Dave listens to this. Yeah, Dave this is one of the five shows he couldn't live without. Yeah. Have us. <laughs> Have a for good or ill. Uh, yeah, have us uh, have us back on because don't listen to everything else we say. We love being on the show. But no, I mean the joke there was that <laughs> even if we were going to start doing news, we are in no day. We are no threat to slash film at all. Not at all. <laughs> but no, the blog will be more of a, an extension of the uh, the sort of mindset and worldview uh, and discussion topics of this show. Very much so. I'm very pleased with uh, with all of the uh, all of our bloggers. They all have a, a very distinct point of view, but as you say, one that f- does fit in to I think the the general goal of of our show and and website. Okay, I but like that we took time in the middle of the show to do a little plug for ourselves. We totally ruined uh, my wonderful segue. No, okay. no, not at all. So fish out of water. Well, you were saying uh, in your description, in your in your wonderful segue, Thank you. Um, you mentioned comic possibilities. Yes, and that's where I want to start because most fish out of water movies are comedies. It's you know, it's let's uh, let's put this either this weird guy in a normal place or this normal guy in a weird place. You know, some of them are girls or women. You know, talking dogs, whatever. Um, and see what happens. What are you looking at? Did you say talking dogs? Yeah. I don't remember what that is. I'm what just you... saying, sometimes there's movies about talking dogs. Yeah, but is it? are those fish out of water movies? 
I think Beverly Hills Chihuahua and the recent Marmaduke are both fish out of water com- comedies. I didn't. Uh, I didn't see either see one of them either, but I know what they're about. I thought you saw Beverly Hills Chihuahua. No, I, I'm pretty sure it's probably in my Netflix queue, though. I kind of want to see it. You, you'd mentioned wanting to see it. I guess I just assumed yeah. that if you really wanted to see it, you would have seen it by now. It's like Trees Lounge. <laughs> I didn't see Marmaduke, though. I did read... I can't remember what review it was. I was reading a review of Marmaduke that pointed out that uh, there's like a dog daycare thing that he goes to. Okay. And one of the other dogs... How, when explaining how it works, says it's like high school for dogs, <laughs> but they're dogs. <laughs> they don't go to high school. Why would they frame it like that? <laughs> it's almost enough to make me want to watch Marmaduke. <laughs> well, I do remember at freshman orient, like freshman orientation for my high school, they said it's like a kennel for humans. <laughs> um, but you know what I did see? Uh, firehouse dog. That's really? not a, that's not a talking dog though. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, I saw it. Bruce Greenwood's in that. Okay, that's fine. No, I have this um, habit of when I, when I'm sick. It's changed now that I once I figured out that I can order mo- like good movies from on demand and pay for them. Right. But it used to be if I was homesick from work, I would just watch whatever crap was on HBO and HBO in the middle of the day. Oh man. So yeah, I saw Firehouse Dog. I think I, I think I watched Sixteen Blocks and Firehouse Dog in the same day. I enjoy Sixteen Blocks actually. Eh. Yeah. It. Um, I, I applaud Most Def for making a choice and sticking to it, but it didn't work for me that 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 way of talking. I liked that choice because not every. I like the idea that. You have to defend somebody and you have to keep just because just because somebody is a witness and their intentions might be a little noble doesn't mean that they're immediately likable. Uh-huh. And uh, I don't know if that was a big message of the film, but that's what I got out of it. Right. But uh, that's not anyway, that's that's not a fish out of water film. Let's talk about the about about some comedies, some some classic fish out of water comedies. And I and I guess um, I don't know that I want to talk about classics anyway. Uh, but two of the big ones that come to mind. I, I mentioned normal guys in weird places and weird guys in normal places. Right. So I'll start with the first one. Okay. A, a great fish out of water action comedy uh, would be Big Trouble in Little China. That is uh, Kurt Russell as normal <laughs> and uh, to quote Paul F. Tompkins on his Freak Wharf CD, He's a regular person, meaning white like you or me. <laughs> um, exactly. Uh, so, you know, Kurt Russell is the quote-unquote normal guy, and then he he enters... Is it, It's San Francisco's Chinatown, right? Uh, I believe so. I haven't seen it in, I'm going to say, 20 years. Oh, wow. Um, well, it's really good. You should revisit it. It holds up. That's what everyone tells me every time I mention that my one of my favorite movies is Chinatown. Because here's what happens. I say they say, What are some of your favorite movies? And I say, Well and I list them off and then I say Chinatown and they're like, Oh oh I love that movie and I say, Oh really? It's I you know, no offense, that kinda surprises me that you've seen. It's kind of an older film and they're like, Oh no, I watched it when I was a kid and I thought, Hang on a second And then I think, Are you referring to Big Trouble in Little China? And they're like, Oh yeah, man, that movie's awesome 
and then I say, yeah, I haven't, I haven't seen it since I, I was a kid. I am fascinated. I know it's my fault that maybe I'm, I'm like Kevin Smith, surrounding myself with like-minded people. Yeah, like I don't really know anyone who wouldn't who. It's and I, I I'm the close-minded one. I am surrounded by like-minded people, and we all sit around talking about how smart we are and how we're right about everything all the time. Whereas you are out there hobnobbing, rubbing elbows with people who don't know the difference between Chinatown and Big Tr- Big Trouble in Little China, and haven't seen Chinatown. You're a, you're a man of the people. I am. I'm out there. I'm shaking hands. I'm kissing babies. But uh, yeah, and so invariably, what'll happen is. A discussion of my favorite movies will then turn into the movies I should see or watch again because Big Trouble in Little China kicks ass. It re- it really is very. I'm good. sure it is. I'm sure it's great. Um, it, and there's a kind of. I mean, I don't know that. What's fun about the movie is that it's not. Okay, there's another movie that we're going to talk about. I'm sure. Uh, called Crocodile Dundee. Top of my list. And. The. The way when he goes into, I haven't seen Crocodile Dundee in a while, but like, there's like, gay characters in the movie, and like suddenly he's around gay. Uh, I don't know if he's at a gay bar, but there's like a drag woman in dra- or a guy in drag. Yeah. At one point, and like, there's like, weird racial stereotypes, and it, Crocodile Dundee is kind of mean spirited for a fish out of water comedy, whereas. Uh, do you disagree? Uh, I'll let you finish. What I you're think saying. they were jokes that seemed innocent at the time, but in retrospect, they don't hold up, and it seems kind of racist and homophobic. You disagree? I could see how that. I'm not sure if I'd say homophobic. I don't know if he if he meets any gay characters, but there is definitely a drag queen. But the drag thing, this scene sticks out to me. There's a guy in drag. He recognizes eventually when he figures out that that it's a, that it's a guy. He embarrasses him in front of the whole bar, and everyone laughs. And he the the guy in drag like runs out crying. Like it's a triumphant moment. Like it's not so. It's it's not triumphant because uh, Mick Dundee is. It certainly does make the the drag queen look. It embarrasses him, and it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's yeah. This guy's a freak. Let's. It's a. It'd be fun for us to point and laugh at him. But the, the laughter seems to be more at Mick. And like, it's still it's still a derisive laughter at the situation, and of course, the situation is possible because this guy is in drag, and so it is derisive. At the guy in drag, but it's also like, aha, we made you do this thing. But then once he figures out, I can't remember exactly what he does, but he embarrasses the guy in front of the whole bar. But and then still, he wins. Yeah, but he doesn't act as if he wins. Like he is like confused and like that's you know that's very unusual. I certainly wasn't expect. He doesn't say that, but the attitude seems to be, I wasn't expecting that, and you know, like he's confused and surprised, and everybody else is laughing. Yeah. So it's not like he's like ah serves him her right. Uh, his attitude is not like that. But uh, what do you say about okay, RuPaul, right? I say him. Right, but when he's the character of RuPaul, when he's in drag, 
it's a she, you say she, but this is not a transgendered individual. This is still a man. Right. I still say he because he is putting himself out there as a drag queen, a man in women's clothing. Saying, whereas what's different about RuPaul, I guess, is that his name is RuPaul either way. Whereas a lot of drag people have their name names and then their drag names are like a character and you refer to the character as she. Yeah. I think. I don't know. I, I know how to do this when it comes to, to people who are transgendered. I understand that you call them by what they want to be called. I don't I, I, I don't understand the poli- – I, I, I just need someone to explain to me when you call a drag queen uh, – a person, a guy who does drag – he when you call him she and what and why rupaul is has the same name either way what about divine i don't know divine was only ever known as divine right and often yeah but i mean on film i'm sure in real life did he did he go by divine when he wasn't was he ever i mean was he ever not divine yeah that's what i'm saying uh i'm not sure publicly i think he was only that walking into some no, we're not. It's 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 a it's a confusing. Yeah, it can, it can be a confusing issue. I just wanted. To, I don't want to come across like Crocodile Dundee here, right? And, uh, and looks like, like a I'm, Sheila. And sound like I'm uh, I'm making fun. I really don't. I, I really would like to understand what the politics are of he versus she when it comes to drag queens. I I, I will always say he because that is the. For uh, the no- for lack of a better term, the novelty of what they are doing, and mm-hmm. so they are identifying themselves as I am a man dressed like this, uh-huh. and thus I well I was about to, I was about to sound more insulting than I meant to be, but isn't that interesting or entertaining or fun or whatever? Right. And so I think because of the nature of what that novelty is, I think he is is appropriate. Okay. That's my personal opinion. Anyway, but, so, Crocodile Dundee, I think, the jokes don't hold up. It's stereotypes, often. But it's also written, not not to necessarily excuse the stereotypes, mm-hmm. but it's written by somebody who's not from here. Paul Hogan wrote the script. Yeah, but I mean, that's a little disingenuous, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, Australia isn't a- actually just all outback. You know, there's plenty of people from... It, Crocodile Dundee makes it seem like everyone in Australia is living like the goddamn Michigan militia <laughs> or something, like walled off from the rest of society, and and and, and every one of them is tough as nails, you know, could, could wrestle a bar. No, 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 that's Davy Crockett. These guys kill alligators. But what I'm saying Crocodiles, is... Crocodiles, I'm sorry. They're the Australian equivalent of a guy who would wrestle a bar. Yeah. Um... I suppose I know that he puts himself out there, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I know I know very little. What I know about Australia is from that awesome Simpsons episode, Crocodile Dundee, and the films of Yahoo Serious, and then recently The Proposition. So, you saw Animal Kingdom. I saw half of Animal Kingdom. I still need to finish it. Oh, it's really good. I'm sure it is. Yeah, um, I enjoy it so far. Very awkward. Very difficult to watch at times. But no, it's a perfectly. By the way, Animal a, Kingdom does not. Fix the image of criminals. Uh, but I'm saying they're not living in the, in yeah, the backwoods. Not, it's not. It's not deliverance over there, right? I mean, S- Sydney is a you know cutting edge metropolitan city. They've got a beautiful opera house. 
I think I've seen that somewhere. <laughs> um, okay, let me get back to my point. Okay, yes. They, basically, the crocodile lead doesn't hold up and that it's uh, stereotypical. Or it's ba- the jokes are based on stereotypes and it's kind of mean-spirited. Big Trouble in Little China, the premise would make you think that's what it is. But it's really just an excuse for craziness. And it's... Um, it's just kind of fun that it's in Chinatown. It just treats Chinatown as otherworldly. Well, here's but it isn't making fun of the Chinese or, or or saying anything bad about them. It's it's almost it's almost in awe of their. I was going to say their culture, but it doesn't actually represent their culture. It's it's just a it's 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 in awe of the sort of. Eastern, the you know, the distant Eastern lands and and their uh, ways that are so foreign to us that it just makes up shit. Well, and, it, I think and, it, and it's not it's 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 not what I'm what, what I'm trying to say is that it's not mean spirited. It's and I think here's why because your your discussion of Big Trouble in Little China made me think of another film which I'll bring up in a moment, but that is not a fish out of water. Strictly as a function of location. That's a fish out of water. It's a character in a different genre. Because he is a stereotypical 80s action hero. Right. With the, he's, he's like John McClane. Uh-huh. He's got, I, if I'm not mistaken, he even has like the white tank top. I think you're right. Yeah. And uses machine guns, you know, fa- you know, quick with the quip. And tough as nails. He's a quick, he's a quick quipper. No question about it. Uh, and just nothing really phases him. So he's very no-nonsense in that 80s way, but he finds himself in the midst of a different stereotypical 80s movie, which is the, as you said, the Eastern strange kung fu mysticism thing. Uh And it's not supposed to represent Chinese culture. It's meant to represent a specific kind of genre that is traditionally... Asian and and whatever so the location is really not the issue it's more like he just finds himself in the midst of this thing it's almost like uh, well uh, two different things it's like the Big Lebowski where a stoner finds himself in the middle of a Raymond Chandler story or uh, the long goodbye which the story and the character are both that but if you've not, I don't know if you've seen the Long Goodbye. I, I haven't actually. It's a real, it's a wonderful movie. I really like it. And what it is is it's it's based on the Raymond Chandler Philip Marlowe story, and Elliot Gould plays Philip Marlowe as if he were in the 30s, but it takes place in the 70s, and so his old timey values, and the story remains the same. Uh-huh. People still, there's still intrigue and conspiracy. I should say I haven't seen Long Goodbye, but. I've seen Tom Anderson's Los Angeles plays itself three times, right. and so I know exactly what happens because that movie totally spoils the end of The Long Goodbye. Among other movies, yes. Uh, which doesn't really bother me, though. I'm not a big spoiler type guy. Yeah, we've we've discussed that before, but uh, but not yeah, a spoiler and so, type guy. That's a saying, right? Spoiler type guy. Yeah, it's a thing people say. That's your autobiography, right there. Okay, but the uh, so so the character he finds himself in a different time. But also, though the genre is still this kind of film noir type thing or this hard-boiled detective thing, the character 
is still in a different world and so i think i think that's why that's why big trouble in little china is so very different from crocodile dundee crocodile dundee and most of the films that we're going to be talking about are about somebody physically displaced right whereas big trouble in little china big lebowski well, big long goodbye you like know, they're the just the more i look at my list I feel like I did go a different way in terms of a lot of mine are more conceptually displaced. Interesting. Like the 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 other thing I was going to talk about, I you know, Big Trouble in Little China is a you know, a more or less normal guy in a weird place. Uh Pee-wee's Big Adventure is a movie about a weird guy out in the normal world or among normal people. Um and they're not all normal, you know, Large Marge and all, all those people aren't really normal, but the general joke is like let's take this character Pee-wee from you know Pee-wee's Playhouse which is his world his id you know writ large on the screen and see how we would do in our version of what the world is actually like let me ask you a question about uh, the world of Pee-wee Herman i enjoy it uh-huh but the word grotesque always pops up when i think of large marge and just the way pee-wee sees the world it's really almost horrifying to me. Uh-huh. I have a hard time laughing because it's just like, ugh, this is unsettling. You know what is very much like that? Um, it's, I mean, it's in different ways, but uh, also has that grotesqueness is uh, uh, Jonan Vasquez's uh, Nickelodeon series, um, Invader Zim, which is ostensibly for kids but presents a horrifying version of the world the world is hell in the in invaders in there is no normal in that world i've <laughs> yeah. seen I, i've seen actually quite a bit of it and uh yeah it's a really good show it's it's a show for us like i don't see <laughs> what child would enjoy that yeah well what i would have i didn't have what cable normal I child is what i was going yeah, to I was, say I, if that were on when i was a kid uh i would have watched the hell out of it the uh but anyway yeah back to peewee go ahead yes oh um oh, i think i said what i was going to say that it's 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 the opposite it, um i think i i'm wondering which one is more resonant like is this will take me out of peewee but is is big trouble more resonant because you can you know ostensibly relate more to the lead character or is peewee more resident because for all his weirdness every single person uh, in the world to a person feels out of place in the world i think i think to everyone normalcy is something that something other than what they are and i think that's why movies like peewee's big adventure now, might make, be more resonant. And that's gonna. Sure, I, I was gonna. I was gonna segue into another movie. But go ahead. Let me make sure I, I know what it is that you're you're putting out there. That to an individual person. Um, sorry, the, my wife was laughing. She's watching the Joan Rivers documentary in the other room, so ah. she's laughing very loudly. Anyway, um, to each person, nor the idea of normal in real life, not in film, but certainly in film to a certain extent. Um, in real life. They they have this idea of normal, and they know that it, and they feel as though it's just out of reach. They don't fit into it. Yeah, and they'd like to maybe, not all of them. But I don't. Uh, 
I'm not sure if I feel that way. I think that uh, there are some people who absolutely consider themselves normal. I think that's a front they're putting on. But here's the movie I was going to segue into, okay. which is still technically a comedy, but much more, uh, I guess, bittersweet, a lot more pathos. Um, Tim Burton's Edward Scissorhands. I didn't even think of that. That's, uh, uh, I think that the sort of sameness of the society, the suburban society we're, we're introduced to, um, which is almost a cliche at this point. I mean, if you look at the opening credits to Weeds, although they might have, it might have changed, but the opening credits to the first couple seasons of Weeds is uh, almost, uh, I guess I could be nice and call it an homage to the beginning of Edward Scissorhands. Little when, boxes made of ticky-tack. That's, yeah, that's Weeds. But, um, uh, you know, Edward Scissorhands has all the men getting into identical make and model of a different color cars at the same time to go to work at the same time and pulling out in unison and driving off in unison. On Saturday, they all come out with their lawnmowers at the exact same time. Yeah, yes. yeah. Um, and the thing is, yeah, that's supposed to be an exaggerated representation of the real world. Um, and maybe that's the way people seem as a group, but no individual person thinks their life is just the same as everyone else's. I think for all his, like you know, gothy aesthetic. Edward Scissorhands is the one that whether you're a weirdo like I was when I saw it or a more mainstream person, Edward Scissorhands is still your entry point, still the person that you sympathize with in that movie. I think I think the the idea of fish out of water invariably is going to be it's it's going to depend on the culture that you're watching it in. Because, yes, okay, there's a person who, they're the strange one, or the, not strange, unusual, they're, you know, whether it be Edward Scissorhands or Buddy the Elf. Uh-huh. They are different, at the very least. And then they're in, quote-unquote, normal society. Mm-hmm. Or there's the, quote-unquote, normal person in a strange society, we've talked about that. But there's always going to be some commentary going on. We see what seems to be normal society through this per- through the mis- I'll say misfit through the misfit's eyes, mm-hmm. and in doing so, we see how abnormal and possibly well, not even possibly flawed our normal society is, or the person that seems normal goes to this world. And realizes, oh shoot, maybe I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. And invariably, the pers- the the normal thing is what is questioned. And I'm trying to think which which there's more of. I think uh, in my list, I have definitely more misfits into the normal world. You know? I think got, I think I got do enchanted as well. on here. Um, hmm. I've got um, I even got ET. Uh, you know, it's kind of a reach, but. Uh, Borat. Um, but see, and I think for, like, I have, like, uh, Dances with Wolves, an Avatar, and I think there's one or two okay. others. Well, but, yeah, and I, I have Lost in Translation. That's... Uh, yeah. That's sort of, I mean, you talk about Avatar. What was the one you said before it? Dances with Wolves. Dances with yeah. Wolves, yes. I mean, the two do kind of go together. 
yeah, the, those are um, movies where normal people come to learn more about themselves by embracing this other other world. Lawrence of Arabia is another one. Yeah, Lost in Translation, on the other hand, is about people that we're supposed to be to relate to. You know, it's an American film, and we're Americans. Right. Uh, they're not. They're not made to realize something about themselves or better themselves by Japanese society. It's almost like like a sensory deprivation chamber where like <laughs> they're forced to confront things about themselves simply because there's there's this wall of strangeness and otherness around them. They 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 can't placate themselves the way they would back home, be it with, you know, their jobs or their families or whatever. They're they're stranded out here, they might as well be on a on a desert island, uh, and they have to they have to cling to each other and discover things about themselves. I think that's more rare. I, I, I think. Yeah, that, that's very rare. I think the Dance with Wolves Avatar version is yeah. much more common. But I find myself wondering if you were to run across. That's the thing is, our interpretation of what these films are about, where uh-huh. nor- normalcy is not necessarily condemned, but questioned at the very least. Our interpretation that that interpretation is a function of uh, of us being used to what is called normal and all of that in American society. I find myself wondering what somebody from a completely other culture what they would take away from an Edward Scissorhands or Dances with Wolves or Avatar or Lawrence of Arabia if they would because they don't have any stake in either of these, whether it be the character or the world, what they would think of it. Somebody might, somebody who does not, who did not live think, in American suburbia, might have might watch Edward Scissorhands, and of course he's the misfit and he's being pushed to the fringe and people mock him or whatever. But I wonder if the person himself might be like, oh. That's too bad what's happening to him. But he is kind of a freak. <laughs> no, I think, um, well, it might be more specifically resonant because of the details um, with someone who is from that culture. I think a pressure to conform to, you know, the status quo is just human nature. It's part of the pack mentality, and it's probably true. Uh, I, I think if you showed, you know, um, some, you know, in an indigenous you know a, a bedouin edward scissorhands they would uh they would get it uh, you know i don't know that it would again resonate the same because the specific cultural signifiers would be beyond them but the main themes of uh everyone is one way and i feel like i'm not mm-hmm. i think are true of people across the board had there been any films that you can think of that uh in which everything is again i don't my first instinct is to say condemned but that's not what i want to say where everything where the world learns from the person the person learns from the world are there any like that or is it just a little too clear cut i'm trying to think uh where the world learns from the person and the person learns from the world because i feel like in life that's more likely yeah, people would learn things from each other, but yeah, it does seem to be either either you know Jake Sully is turned into a Navi essentially, or Chauncey Gardner changes the way everyone thinks about something. Right, you know, it, 
that's that's in being there. Yeah, I know you know, but uh, I should have make sure. Um, yeah, it doesn't think it's one or the other, but realistically, you're right. And does that? I mean, I wonder. I wonder how that would even look. Well, I think. Um, uh, there's a great um, British TV series. I'm not sure if it's a uh, you know BBC or Channel Four or ITV or whatever called The Inbetweeners. I've heard of it. Which is basically about this uh, sort of protected, coddled like prep school kid who you know has to live with his mom. His parents divorced. Doesn't have as much money, and he has to go to public school. And um, I think that really is the example you're talking about. He finds a group of friends that, you know, he's able to come more of a shell and be more, you know, less uh, uptight. But he also, you know, teaches them something about uh, behaving with composure. But, I mean, I make the show sound like it's – the show is just – <laughs> really like crass and scatological and fucking hilarious and it's also a show yeah it's a tv show i it's, think you have more time to explore the world exactly yeah and and i'm trying to think it's been a long time since i've seen the film blast from the past okay but i i do recall that being more a function of the world learning from him how did but, he survive uh he's in a, like a bomb shelter or something like that but i don't understand uh, was he born in the bomb shelter? I think so, yes. Okay. And uh, and I don't remember if his... I think his parents... He's in the bomb shelter, but I don't think his parents are. Maybe that's not true. I don't remember. But... but And I think that's... I think... I think that's an interesting film because that's a function of displaced in time. And, right. of course, you get two different things. You get... Like, there's a, there's a scene that I really like between... Uh, Brendan Fraser and, and Dave Foley, in which Dave Foley talks about, he's talking to somebody else about Brendan Fraser's character and talks about the idea of manners. And he said, you know, I always thought of manners as a way to show that you're better than somebody. I never thought of it the way he, the way this character frames it, which is a way to show that you respect somebody else. Yeah, that's the way manners should be seen. Exactly. It's also why you don't wear, you know... Sweatpants and flip-flops when you're going out in public. Because you respect other people. <laughs> you keep your cell phone conversation down to a respectable level. Decibel level. Yeah. You know? It's all about decibels with you today. Yeah. But, uh, and so that's so that's one thing in which this, this old-fashioned... It's old all about decibels every day. <laughs> which this in old life. Fa- sounds like you're writing a thesis here. <laughs> uh, in which this old-fashioned style, this old-fashioned view... Uh, I don't know, enriches this a modern character's life. But of course, there are other old-fashioned views that are probably, you know, best abandoned or at least updated. Uh-huh. And so, but I don't remember if a lot of that happens. Uh, well, it sounds like you need to revisit Blast, Blast from, from the Past. But it also, I mean, it's also like uh, Austin Powers to a certain extent. But... That I mean, it's more just his his idea of. I don't know what what is more what is more condemned. Ah, damn it! I'm back to that word. <laughs> what do you think is more questioned in Austin Powers, the '60s or the '90s? That's yeah, that's a good point. It is it is kind of both because um, 
I mean, certainly political correctness, the political correctness of the modern age is poked fun at. But also the idea that you should probably take care of your teeth and wear a goddamn condom. I've said goddamn twice in this show. That's not something I do a lot, actually. No, it isn't. Um, yeah, th- th- that it does poke fun at both both sides. And I think that's only something you can do with a time, with time, with an era. If you do it with countries, you can do it with countries as long as the person, the country that where the film is made is the one that is questioned. Because that's what's acceptable. Anything else? I'm sorry. I'm sorry to go on this tangent, but if we made a if 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 we made a film and there's a fish out of water and somebody is in China or something like that, uh, and it was all about how this person changed China and how China was wrong or the last whatever. Samurai. <laughs> no, but he embraces. But he embraces. I, I never saw it. Yeah, he embraces their values. Yeah, and so. Um, I understand what you're saying because if they did that, then people would say that's intolerant and that's proselytizing and all of that. The only way that Amer- that an American and maybe any country, an American film that's fish out of water and it's going to question a certain value system, the only value system that it's going to be able to question without getting any guff from whoever is America. Yeah, it, but that's you know that's what you that's what you know. But I know I understand because. Uh, uh, I get more annoyed. Like I view Alvy Singer in Annie Hall differently now that I live in Los Angeles. Like his, the way that he talks about Los Angeles and the way that he behaves when he's there. When I first saw Annie Hall in in high school, um, I thought it was largely kind of funny, and that he was like, yeah, he was, you know, he's kind of shooting himself in the foot with this relationship with this woman, but. He, it's cool that he's like too cool for Los Angeles, and now that I live here and I watch Any Hell Now, like I, uh, it makes him seem almost like stubborn and pathetic. Yeah, which I think is what it's kind of supposed to. But then again, Woody Allen does kind of feel these ways about Los Angeles, so I'm not, oh, yeah. I'm not sure. But um, uh, yeah, do you feel that way about? Did you? It's been a while since I've seen okay. Annie Hall, but I do. I mean, but yeah, I mean Woody Allen. By and large, uh, has his own point of view. And we all have our own point of view, but he's he's fine with putting it out there as yeah, this is what it is, uh-huh. which is interesting to me because as you, I mean, I did a very long episode about Woody Allen and his philosophies and the way that he puts them into his art. I did that on uh, more than one lesson, and it's it's odd that somebody who who asks so many questions and encourages you to do the same. Ha- can be so I will use the word condemning so condemning of people who aren't like him uh whether it be yeah. philosophically or even location it would appear but I think I've got the um we'll wrap up in just a second but I know you being uh you know um being Christian in a place that's not very Christian you like yes. so, like feel maybe Almost overly reflexively uh, defensive, would you say, at times? Yeah. At times. I would say constantly, yes. Okay. Um, I get that way about Los Angeles now. Like, the longer I live here, the more I love this city. And when someone, when Alvy Singer says, you know, why would I want to live in a place where the only cultural advantage is that you can make a right turn on a red light, I used to laugh at that. And now I'm like, fuck you. This, You know, this is a city of 
of poetry and literature and film and art. We've got, you know, Charles Bukowski was here, James Elroy. Uh, we, we've, we've got the goddamn Los Angeles. I keep saying it. We've got the Los Angeles Philharmonic. We've got, we've got LACMA. We've got, uh, we've got Red Cat and Los Angeles Film Forum. We've got the American Cinematheque. La Brea Tar Pits. We've got the fucking La Brea Tar Pits. Um, and, uh, so yeah, go to hell, Elvis Singer. This is a great cultural. This is one of the one of the leading cultural cities in the world. Yeah, how many how many uh, New York film studios have uh, funded your movies? <laughs> oh wait, <laughs> uh, yeah. No, I I don't want to compare. Like, I don't want to say Los Angeles is better than, than no, New York. No, I love New York, but Los Angeles is not a cultural wasteland. And I hate when people, mostly people who, uh, either grew up in New York or grew up in the Midwest and moved to New York. The way that they characterize Los Angeles, uh, I get increasingly defensive about it the more I live here. Yeah, I, and I think it's, and I, I've, and that that was kind of how I was. I, okay, I, I'll reference another uh, much more controversial episode of More Than One Lesson, uh, in which I talk about Avatar. Uh-huh. The, like, I, you know, it's it's stupid and it's. It's not stupid to defend your country, like, philosophically. It's not stupid to do that, but you should view your country as it is. Uh And, of course, America is not perfect uh, by any stretch. Uh, But the just the blanket condemnation of the U.S. and capitalism and, it would appear, the very concept of the military uh, in Avatar, like, really bothered me and uh and i and i'm perhaps and i was perhaps reflect reflexively defensive so much so that in the following episode i apologized for the tone that i struck certainly not in what i was saying but the tone that i was striking and uh and and i think it 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 does it comes not merely from avatar but from what i was talking about which is you know it's if you're going to make a fish out of water movie in the U.S. Uh, and you're going to use it to comment on anything, the one thing that it's okay to comment on is how screwed up the U.S. is. And part of me is like, I understand that instinct, and I understand why that's more acceptable. But like, I don't know. It's, but it's not really your place to. That's why I get annoyed at Alvy Singer. It's not if you're from America, or if you, especially if you live in America. And always have. It's right. not really your place to criticize another culture because you don't know enough about it. It doesn't. St- it doesn't stop other cultures from criticizing us. Who criticizes us? Triplets of Belleville. Okay, well then you and you're Bruges? within your rights to uh, to be angry about that. I guess maybe it's the black and. Uh, I mean, I'm do, sorry. Do, you, what are you saying? I mean, do you? Basically, it sounds like what you're saying is you want us to be able to criticize other cultures without them getting angry about it. It might. But you get angry, as do I, when people, uh, when when you know the French, the fucking French, uh, <laughs> um, criticize American culture. It actually, oddly enough, it does. That doesn't bother me. It's more just, I guess, it's more the idea that, first off, you can criticize the Navi culture; they don't exist. But secondly, it, although, I mean, it's. Uh, allegory for native americans so of course that would be uh yeah, maybe adding all, insult to injury it's a bullshit allegory anyway it sort of is but uh i guarantee may- you they didn't use every, every part of the buffalo i know i've said this before <laughs> it's crazy it's it's a 
It was this crazy thing that we all just accepted when we were kids. They used every part of the buffalo. No, they didn't. At some point, they're all gathered around, a couple of bones here and there being like, I got nothing. I don't know yeah. how we're going to do this. Yeah, yeah, can, we, uh, can we just hunt like squirrels, like smaller things now? Like It's getting to the point where killing a buffalo is kind of a big commitment for us. <laughs> uh and then, of course, you know there's other tribes thousands of miles away that would use that buffalo testicle. <laughs> but uh, you know, it, you know what it probably is. It probably has has very little to do with the you know American pride because, as I've commented before, I tend to really respond to movies that question every aspect of America. Uh, I love film noir. You can't love film noir <laughs> and be uh, chest beating, jingoistic. Uh, uh, yeah, but. Uh, but what I will maybe it maybe it has to do with what we were talking about earlier, the black and white element of it, where uh-huh. you can't have. You're talking about film noir still. Oddly <laughs> enough, I'm talking about a film that is decidedly not black and white, which is Avatar, and just that the Navi are all great, and the Amer the Americans or Earthlings, but Americans honestly, um, they're all terrible. I, I guess they're not all terrible, but. The majority of them are terrible. The only ones that are good are the ones that recognize that they're that Americans are terrible and the Navi are amazing. And oh, I wish I could be a Navi. Um, and it's just like, what kind? Of, I, to me, that is no better than a film that that was completely pro America and anti the other the Green Berets. Uh-huh. You know, the, which is not a fish out of water, water film, but like a film that is so jingoistic in favor of America that people are like, oh, that's laughable. And she's like, yeah, but if you just condemn everything about about our country and then just idealize or idolize everything about this other admittedly non-existent culture, then just like, well, now it's just black and white. And I find myself wondering if anybody has ever gotten anything out of a black and white lesson. Chances are seeing things is like, oh, oh, the Navi isn't perfectly great. Maybe they're warring with other tribes or whatever. Well, what they get out of it is a sense of pride because they already believed what the film is telling them, and now they get like confirmation of it. I guess so. And that's and that's what people get from. And I I liked Avatar. I know but, you did, uh, but, but I, so I'm not talking specifically about Avatar, but that kind of thing. No, there's yeah, yeah. Um, nobody ever went broke preaching to the choir. That's a good way of that's a good way of phrasing it. Whether it be Michael Moore or Christian filmmakers, mm-hmm. it's just and the best way to preach to the choir is to completely demonize the other culture, the other time, the other genre, whatever the case may be. We've well, talked far more far far more seriously than I expected to. And that's about this why topic. I I'm telling you, I'm really into Battleship Retention right now. <laughs> <laughs> Not even podcasting anymore. Now it's just about yeah. our show. Um yeah, this this conversation went ways I did not expect it to, and I'm really glad for that. And I didn't get to talk about Terminator as a as a fish out of water movie. Oh yeah, um, I mean I've got all kinds of stuff. I've got Kingpin, <laughs> I've got the Limey, I've got Back to the Future and Rain Man. I got I got I got Hot Fuzz on here. Oh nice. Um, anyway, but this was this was a great conversation. I think um, you know, leave your reviews on iTunes and tell us if you thought it was great. <laughs> um, you know, here's here's something about that. Uh, uh-huh. As as we all know, I'm hypersensitive to that sort of thing. And then the other day, I 
I was thinking maybe what I will do is I will take the various comments about what we should be doing and I would put it together into just this paragraph, almost a personal manifesto of like things that I need to do better. And as the more I thought about it, the more I realized these things cancel each other out. (laughs) I don't know what to do now. And that's when I realized you can't please everybody. You can't please everybody. And so I need to try and be better about that. Well, thank you all for listening. Um, Again, Check out the website, especially come hopefully around February first. Um, this could be there's there's already some great content on the on the blog spot, and it'll be uh, integrated in the website in the coming weeks. Um, you know what is integrated on the website? What's that? Right at the bottom of the first of the front page. We're so not you, doing you, the donation all drive the way yet. down. Let's I'm talk. telling you, there's okay. a donation drive coming up. Okay, it wouldn't hurt you karmically to. You know, slip us a fin in the meantime. Nice. Before before you start your donation subscription. Yes, the the subscriptions are uh, are starting to expire, and uh, and yeah. So if you wanted to throw us a little something, that'd be great. That would it would very much help us. But the donation drive is starting soon. So if you only have a certain amount that uh, you've allotted to donate to Battleship Pretension, maybe wait a couple weeks. Yeah, you might be able, you might be able to win uh, some CDs or DVDs. And I did want to mention uh, next week's episode is going to be a day late. Uh, we're recording with guests, but oh, they that's right. yes, but they cannot record until Monday night. So it's going to be a day late. Yeah, it'll be up short. like late late Monday night. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for listening. You can find us at battleshipretention.com or on iTunes. You can email us, David at battleshipretention.com or Tyler at battleshipretention.com. You can follow me, David, on Twitter at twitter.com slash thepretension. You can follow Tyler on Twitter at twitter.com slash morelessons, which is the official Twitter of his other podcast, More Than One Lesson, which you can find at morethanonelesson.com or on iTunes. And you can find my other podcast, the weekly television review podcast previously on, at previouslyonshow.com or in iTunes. All right. You know what? I totally, I've said it before, but this time I totally phased out. I was thinking about what I was going to do next. And uh, how long was that gap before between you being done and me talking? Uh, not long enough that you had to comment on it. Okay. All right. Just making sure. <laughs> Maybe I'll cut that out. But, Please um, But yeah. So uh, yeah. Thanks everybody for listening and uh, we'll get you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.